It was almost 27 years to the day after I graduated from the Hill School, the boarding school, kind of the elite boarding school up in Pottstown, that I was back in Pottstown in a very different context, finishing up a mindfulness group, working in a halfway house, a sober home. Now, this sober home, this halfway house was less than a half mile away from the campus of the Hill School that literally and also metaphorically, sits above Pottstown, looking down upon it. (laughs) Symbolism, folks. Only a half mile away, but in truth, it was more than a half a world away. The world of that privilege and prestige, and the world of that halfway house, with young people striving, at times struggling, to be healthy, and whole human beings. That mindfulness group I led went very well. And so recently I was invited back by this group. It's called Synergy House to lead another mindfulness group. And I was just talking this past week with the executive director. And she asked me, he said, you know, could we start this in April? Because there's something I've been noticing in April. There's something I noticed in springtime. The young guys who we're working with, who are living with us for a month or two months, three months, We find that there's a real tendency that is showing up in their lives. A lot of them are really struggling at this time of the year to maintain their sobriety and to not go out again and pick up a drink or drugs. So you might know that this is a thing at this time of the year. There is this image that it's the holiday season in December cold and dark and if you're lonely you feel more lonely and people think that like you know uh suicides people who take their own life that spikes at that time of the year it's actually not true it's this time of the year it's springtime that people taking their own lives actually spikes now people have been studying this scientifically for just i don't know the last 50 60 70 years or so and they aren't entirely sure exactly what happens might have something to do with shifting sunlight. It might have to do with sleep patterns getting disrupted. It may actually have to do with allergens. It may have to do with inflammation. It may have to do that, you know, in winter, you know, especially like two winters ago when it was really kind of miserable and cold, there's a kind of clustering together in our misery. But this time of the year in which maybe you're starting to see the sunny, happy, shiny people seemingly showing up more and you're not one of them that can even increase further the feeling of your distress. And so there's all these theories and no one has an exact reason why suicide spiked this time of the year. But even before this was studied with numbers and metrics, poetry pointed to it. These words. T.S. Eliot, April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Poets for a long time before we could study stuff pointed to the inner reality of our lives. April can be, for many people, the cruelest month. Feeling that life is waking up around us, but maybe life is not waking up within us in the ways that we might wish. This is a season I have always found of great promise and also great peril. In the Northeast, nature teaches us, you know, regardless of the fact that springs completely seems to have taken a Sabbath and a holiday today, 
spring is coming back. I think we all know that. And so at some point in the next few weeks, this is what I will see something like it. One of the boxes, the planting boxes in my backyard, a little sprout coming to be again. So on this first Sunday after Easter, when spring, at least the rumor of it, is here, on this day, this holy day, this day that for me ought to be New Year's Day, this day, opening day. Oh. (laughs) Baseball season. Baseball is back for seven straight months. We're going to have baseball nearly every day. And if you wanted any more proof that baseball really revealed the hidden heart, holy heart of reality, it's that you can overlay the entire baseball season on top of the entire agricultural season in the Northeast, and they are almost one and the same in duration. You are not convinced, some of you. That's okay. So opening day, getting into spring. This Sunday after Easter, this felt like a good time to encourage us here at Wellsprings to engage more deeply in practices of self-care. And that's what this new message series is all about. How are we caring for ourselves? How are we taking the time in exactly all the way, all the way that you pointed to? Liz, you know, honestly, I can say just go back and listen to her chargeful moment at the start of the service, and all I'm going to do is just pontificate that a little bit more. (laughs) It's a challenge for many of us. I know this in my own life. I hear your stories. I see your Facebook posts. It's a challenge for many of us to engage in consistent practices of taking good care of ourselves. And so we'd like to turn over these next few weeks, Reverend Lee and myself, to encouraging us to take better care. To take better care because, in fact, it is core to our tradition, to Unitarian Universalism, that there is something within us, deep within us, the very nature of who we are that is worth and worthy of being cared about. We say in this tradition in many different ways, we are not born broken. We are born precious. We are born with an original blessing, not an original curse, not an original sin. We talk about this, for example, in our 1.0 group, our introduction to Wellsprings. We, uh, using that kind of agricultural metaphor, we make reference to Thich Nhat Hanh, who we quote from every single Sunday here at Wellsprings. He said, we're born with seeds of love. We're born with seeds of hate. We're born with seeds of compassion. We are born with seeds of indifference. And the question before us every day, and this is what self-care is about, Which seeds will we water? Which seeds will we cultivate? Just as our core beliefs say here at Wellsprings, just like a gardener strives to create the right conditions for the garden to grow, we strive to create the right conditions for our spiritual lives to flourish. This is why self-care is so important. And the truth is, as much as we love Thich Nhat Hanh here, we can point to our own tradition. Perhaps still for me, the most famous articulation of this within our movement is a guy named William Ellery Channing, who was the first president of the American Unitarian Association, preached a famous, well, as much as something preached in the 1820s can be famous, but still incredibly important sermon called simply the likeness to God. In distinction from those theologies, those dogmas that say we are born irreparably broken, Channing said, no, 
We were born with that likeness to God, that likeness to divinity within our very selves, and that life is an opportunity, this invitation to grow that likeness, to have it show up. And good kind of New England, one generation removed from Puritanism, that Channing was, for him it was all about diligence, all about right exercise of the mind and of the soul. And I largely agree with him, but there's something that Channing didn't see because of his privileged perch in his life, all those people who worked, excuse my language, their asses off all the time. And there's also something that Channing did not anticipate, which is that right now, right here in Chester County, I'm not seeing too much laziness as the problem. (laughs) What I see and I read and I hear and I witness in myself and within all of you over and over again, is the challenge to this likeness to God arrives in busyness and overwork and overscheduling and all the things that Liz was talking about. These commitments can be good commitments, and still when they crowd out this capacity to develop who we are, we obscure that innate divine likeness. It is why I believe so many of us struggle. Self-care reveals that divine likeness, that basic goodness, who we all are already. Which is why in this message series, Reverend Lee and I are going to talk about, you know, different kinds of spiritual practice, different forms of self-care, different activities we can do. And by the way, it doesn't look all the same for all of us. This is a tradition that gives us permission to develop our own innate goodness in many different ways. But really what we're going to do in this message series is point beyond the activities. We're going to get down to the core of what self-care is about. It is an underlying attitude of being willing to befriend our own lives. Of being willing to care for ourselves. I have tried it. Trust me. You cannot garden with aggression. It does not help the plants grow. I mean, you could. And by the way, we see it all the time. I see people do yoga with aggression. I see people meditate with aggression. I see people engage in all these wonderful self-care activities, but with such aggression towards themselves as if, even if they don't believe the doctrine of original sin, that's really what they're trying to do. They're trying to prove that somehow they are not irreparably wrong. Self-care with aggression will not be self-care. It will just be one more thing that we place before ourselves that we cannot meet the mark on and fail about and then feel worse about ourselves. Self-care is not about the activity. It's about the underlying attitude. Self-care at its core teaches us about faith in the unfolding nature of our lives, that goodness that is being unfolded as well, and that this message series, please hear me, is not just another thing to put on your to-do list. This is an invitation to recognize and honor all of us, the innate preciousness of our lives. So there's one word I'm not going to use for for this. I'm going to try really hard not to today or in the message just to come ask. Reverend Lee won't use this word either, although her words are her words. I'm not going to call it work. 
And not too long ago, I was with a friend of mine. He invited me up, uh, Reverend Manish Mishra Marzetti. He invited me up about a month ago to preach at his congregation, give the charge to the minister, his installation of his church outside of Boston. And the day before, I shared some of this with you in a message a few weeks ago. He invited me to sit and to spend time with his spiritual teacher, a beautiful man named Wolf Martinez, who is a shaman within and draws upon Native American traditions. And Wolf, after sitting with me for about 10 minutes, got a good sense, a good gauge of who I was, and he said this, stop calling what you're doing work. (laughs) See, if we use that frame, work, we're going to associate with all the other work. And I, this really came home to me this past week when I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the week after Easter and people were getting back to work, to professional life. And I heard all these posts about people really struggling with the daily grind of their commute. <laughs> See, if we associate self-care with just another form of work, it'll become another form of work. And we'll start to get all bound up in, are we getting there quickly enough? Are we going to be held in that suburban hellscape of 422 at 830 every morning? Don't call it work. Wolf is right. This is one of the reasons why I think we are not encouraged towards authentic self-care in this community, in this larger culture, especially around Chester County Futures. I mean, we get encouragement all the time. Improve yourself. Be a better version of who you are. Be a 2.0, whatever they want to call it, you know. By the way, which is not the message of Wellsprings 2.0 here. (laughs) Wellsprings 2.0 is to engage in self-care, is to honor that unique preciousness. It is not to say you only belong here by being a better you. No, we are all welcome here. Our culture is really good at asking us to improve ourselves. Our culture is really lousy at honoring who we are already. One of the foundations of This message series for me comes from a Unitarian Universalist writer named Kay Elting Brock, who wrote a story last spring about getting through, about surviving a particularly brutal, harsh winter, both meteorologically, but also a winter of the soul. It was the first winter in which she and her four-year-old son, Ian, were together after her marriage fell apart the first winter after her divorce. And it was tough. It was lonely. It was sad. And just as that winter started to break, she walked outside one day, and she saw this. A little crocus just poking up through the snow. And she said, even before before thinking of it, To the crocus, but probably also to herself. Good for you, buddy. (laughs) And then her son, her four-year-old Ian, came out and did something even more amazing. He didn't say anything at all. He just, looking at this crocus, peeking up out of the snow, started clapping. Now, the writer... Uh, remember this a few years later when it was full on springtime and she emerged out of that difficult time in her life. But on her block, everyone else's gardens with everyone else's tulips were just exploding up from the earth. And her tulips were just there. They were risen up out of the ground, but they just were staying tight in the shell. And she had tried to do everything she could. She tried all the work that she could. So the last thing she had, she just started applauding her tulips. And they grew eventually. 
is proof applauding works. <laughs> this is what self-care is about. You know, so often in this culture, we give a hand to someone based on their excellence, appreciating how amazing they are. And that's wonderful. But I also got to believe that the best form of applause is for encouragement. Gratitude for who we are already and for our capacity to reveal who we are even more. The name for this series, May You Be Well, is a kind of a little bit of a play upon metta meditation, loving kindness meditation, which is one of my root spiritual practices. We recently had a day-long metta, loving kindness meditation here at Wellsprings. The words that I use in guiding metta and guiding loving kindness meditation go a little something like this. There's all these kind of different ways to articulate it. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be as healthy as you can be. May you live with ease and with well-being. First, we direct that to ourselves. Then we direct it to someone we love. Then we direct it to someone we don't know very well. Then we direct it to someone we're struggling with. And ultimately, if that's our intention, whether we feel it or not, ultimately we open that up to everyone and all beings everywhere. So it's pretty cool here at Wellsprings. We try and, you know, be pretty rigorous about what we're doing so we can understand it. So we got some evaluations back from this retreat. And two things were really clear. This stuff works. It opens the heart. And it's not easy work. And one other thing, which makes me sad and is also real. We know exactly what it is like to be friendly towards ourselves and towards each other. And yet we also forget this over and over and over again. This is the feedback that we got. Thank you for the reminder. I need this. Because in the midst of all these, you know, self-improvement schemes and all this other stuff that we're sold, and very often people are selling it to us, there's always that hint of, you know, if I just get the right technique, the miracle growth is going to come. But in fact, the growth is about effort and patience and giving time. And more than anything else, remembering that we are not a machine. It's kind of striking if you take a step back from our language and look at all the times that we use industrial metaphors for our lives. (laughs) All the ways in which we treat ourselves as machines. But in truth, we're not. I draw a lot, indeed our core beliefs here at Wellsprings, draw a lot from the imagery of agriculture as a corrective to our larger culture, reminding us that we are not machines that we confuse ourselves and trouble ourselves when we treat ourselves as a power-on, power-off kind of entity. We turn ourselves into objects. Because the truth is, with most of our machines, well, we're very attached to them. But then when they break down, we fix them if we can. But chances are we're just going to say, you know what? You're disposable. (laughs) We're done with you. Well, we feel landfills that way. But even more, we create garbage out of our own lives when we treat ourselves that way. There is a deeper rhythm to the basic goodness of this life that we remember when we are not machines. Which is the final thing I want to talk about today. 
and is a commitment here in this message series. We are not going to talk about self-care as a solely individual pursuit. And given that this is the Philly area, and we already know that, you know, you and you can be singular or plural, so please read this as, may yous be well. I remember I had a baseball coach. I grew up in Lehigh Valley for a number of years. I had a baseball coach who kept u- using use over and over and over again until my dad very seriously sat me down one day. And I thought I did something wrong in the baseball field. And he said, you know, your coach is a good coach, but please never speak like him. <laughs> so may use, may you <laughs> be well. Because the truth is self-care understood only individualistically just increases the pressure upon us. It can even be a form of cruelty, expecting all the burden be on ourselves individually. I mean, no one else can make the choice for self-care than yourself, but we're not in isolation when we do it. The environment matters. We plant together. We conspire together. And yes, my deepest hope is that we push back together against a culture that is dramatically unhealthy when it teaches us that we are an it. An object to be exploited or manipulated and not a spirit, a soul to be grown and to be shared. One of my practices the last few weeks, and maybe I've asked you of this because I knew in my mind I was kind of preparing for this series, is to practice a little bit of the art of productive interruption. I'm going to ask you to participate with me in this series. When you're talking with each other, I'm going to ask you to ask a question of each other. Not moralistically, because we're all in this together. How are you taking care of yourself? How are you taking care of yourself? How are you taking care of yourself? Because the truth is that when we ask, how are you taking care of yourself? We're also being willing to have someone else ask the question of us. And we're willing to check in with ourselves. And we create cultures in which we are not its. We are not objects. Ecology teaches us that it's not just about the seed. It's about the soil and the sun and the water. All together, nothing in isolation. This is how we grow. This is how we care for ourselves and each other. Amen. May you live in blessing. I ask you to join me in prayer. God of sun, of seed, of soil, of water, of the deep nutritiousness of this life. May we question ourselves and each other with love when we turn ourselves only into a function. Not paying attention to that inner form of our lives. Knowing the suffering, knowing the cruelty, knowing the injustice that comes out of treating ourselves and other people as if we are only objects to be manipulated. May we honor the you and the yous 
and all of us and so contribute to the innate wholeness that we already are. Amen.